Welcome to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kasperson. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for coming to join us today. I'm so excited to chat with Dr. Kira Barr. Did I say that right? Dr. Kira Barr? Yes, you did. Kira, Kira, okay. I'm so excited to chat with Dr. Kira Barr. You can find her on drkirabar.com. That's K-E-I-R-A, drkirabar.com, and at Facebook and Instagram also at Dr. Kira Barr. She blends science with soul, and she turns conventional methodologies on their heads so that midlife women can feel comfortable in their bodies and love the skin that they're in. She's a prominent leader in women's medicine, creating a bridge between hormones, skin, and mind-body medicine to optimize women's midlife experience. A fierce patient advocate and completely dedicated to uncovering the root cause of hormonal imbalances, Dr. Barr empowers women women worldwide to take control of their health and their hormones in menopause. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to join you. You have a very unique story. So you're dual board certified. You're a menopause specialist and a dermatologist. Can you tell us how you got to the place that you are now? Yes, (laughs) it's because things went sideways. Um, (laughs) Pretty much. So yeah, my background is that I'm a dual board certified dermatologist. So studying clinical dermatology, but it's on the surface. And then studying what's beneath it as a dermatopathologist. So if you went to the dermatologist and you had something removed, I'd be the one to make the diagnosis underneath the microscope. And I never connected the dots when I became a dermatologist. It's only, you can only connect the dots going backwards. And so I was bullied as a kid for what was on my skin. Kids called me coffee stain face because I had two birthmarks on my face. The irony is that those marks actually are called cafe au lait spots. They literally are coffee stains. (laughs) I didn't know that. And so I realized at that time, you know, skin can be a source of shame and embarrassment. And I wound up getting suntans and sunburns to hide those marks. And fast forward as a dermatologist whose focus of my practice was skin cancer and melanoma, I had to diagnose myself with melanoma. And thankfully I caught it early, but that was the tip of the iceberg. And that was the wake up call for me that how I was living my life was not serving me very well. And health issues started to snowball, migraines, bloating, mental irregularities. Turns out, you know, I had a whole host of so many hormonal issues. And so traditional medicine, when I went to my colleagues, Western medicine is amazing for certain things, but it wasn't serving my needs. And uh, I ventured into integrative medicine, functional medicine, and really understood the impact that stress has on our hormones, the impact that stress has on our skin. And so I kind of blended everything together. So I thought if as a physician, I had no clue initially how to help myself, how to connect all of these dots, how were other women supposed to be able to do this? So I basically made my mess into my mission to help other women connect the dots. Amazing. And now you, you focus primarily on perimenopause and menopause. Exactly. So my practice now is hundred percent virtual and I just focus on women in perimenopause and menopause, helping them really use their skin in many ways as a lens. It's a window to their hormonal health. So many of the changes that we see as we mature, I don't like to say, you know, it's a nicer way to say as we are getting older, but as we mature, you know, the fine lines, the wrinkles, the thinning hair, the 
jowls, the vaginal dryness, all of those are linked to our hormones. And it's not just our sex hormones, right? It's not just the testosterone, the progesterone, and the estrogen. It's our cortisol. It's our insulin. So looking at the skin as an opportunity to see what's happening below the surface and then help women replenish what may be missing and to help rebalance from a more holistic perspective of diet and lifestyle. I would think that if you, if a woman just walked into your office or, you know, saw you and you look at her skin, you can, you can probably guess what's going on. Cause you're probably like such an expert that you can see the skin and be like, huh, I wonder if X, Y, and Z, that's how I feel about the vulva. I'm like, I can look at the vulva and the vagina and I can tell you like stress incontinence, maybe pain with sex recurring. Like I can tell just by looking and not even talking to the person with, you know, not a hundred percent accuracy, but it's pretty good. What are some common things on the face that you see that you're like, Oh, this is a sign this might be a sign of X, Y, and Z in her life. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. So I'm sure like my book was The Skin Whisperer, right? Because it's the skin sent you messages all the time. And I wouldn't I do it. Does anyone call you like the vulva whisperer? <laughs> just me. I just call <laughs> myself the vulva. <laughs> um, but it's true. I mean, you that's the beauty of visual inspection. It, it can tell us so much. And so when I look, especially when it comes to like thyroid health, you know, the lateral third of someone's eyebrows, that's a telltale sign that they're hypothyroid. If someone, a lot of, you know, dark circles under their eyes or accelerated fine lines and wrinkling, you think about liver health, detoxification, sun exposure, certainly, but also gives me an indication of maybe their nutritional status isn't as robust as it may need to be. Because, you know, we talk about sun exposure. 90% of the visible signs of aging is due to UV exposure. So UV exposure creates oxidative stress. It creates free radicals, which is a fancy word for creating reactions in the skin that can damage our DNA and damage the supportive tissue. That leads to breakdown and in, in the fine lines and the wrinkles and, and the discoloration. Well, our skin has a natural antioxidant system to help buffer some of that damage. And if you are not sleeping well, you know, if you're stressed, if you're not nourishing yourself with a wide variety of fruits and veggies and antioxidants, your body is not going to have those resources. And we can see this, we can see this and how significant the damage may be on someone's skin. Let's talk about alcohol. alcohol. Let's talk about alcohol and skin. Yes. And it's so hard because I am a gal. I love a good glass of red wine and I'm always like, all right, give yourself an upgrade, you know, biodynamically sourced. I'm, I'm going to get all like that way on you. Right. It's going to be clean and ideally have none of the pesticides and things like that, but life is meant to be enjoyed. I'll just say that. And in for a plug for red wine, there's resveratrol in the grape skin and resveratrol has been shown to be phenomenal for the skin, rich in antioxidants. That being said, alcohol messes with your sleep. There's sugar and sugar ages you because it is involved in a process called glycation and it creates these accelerated glycation end products that bind to your collagen and your elastin and breaks them down, which adds to those 
fine lines, wrinkles, and gels. Oh, any sugar, like Haagen-Dazs mint chip ice cream sugar too? Uh, yes. <laughs> Just checking. All added sugars. Added, I know. I feel like a Debbie Downer. I love... No, you're empowering <laughs> women. We have to make informed decisions and we can't make informed decisions if we just think like we deserve this, right? Because I think a lot of pe- women are like, I deserve this. And they're like, do you actually know what is what it does to your body? I think they, about alcohol is it contributes to dehydration, right? Which is not good for your skin. And I think that's the biggest thing, especially in our perimenopausal, menopausal women, alcohol, especially when we do it, when we have a cocktail with dinner, it is totally going to mess with your sleep and it's going to make those hot flashes worse. Foods that are rich in tyramine, like you know, alcohol, smoked meats, chocolate, these are things that can contribute to worsening of hot flashes as well. So we'd love to have our glass of wine and chocolate. Well, those are great, but they may contribute to making those symptoms worse messing with your sleep and sleep is when your skin repairs itself. When that hydration balance rebalances, when growth hormone is going in DNA repair. And if you're not getting quality sleep, you're not generating that hormone melatonin and melatonin in sufficient quantities. You may generate some, but not in sufficient quantities. And melatonin is one of the most potent antioxidants that our body produces. I didn't know that. Yeah, it really is. So it is important for skin repair. It's important for hair follicle growth. So even though I'm a dermatologist, I'm not really a product junkie, but there are a lot of products that have come out that have melatonin in them. There's one and it's a topical serum, but even in the scientific literature, they are using melatonin for skin cancer prevention and for management of skin cancer. It's that powerful and our bodies make it when we sleep. So Ah. I'm not necessarily promoting day drinking, but if you are going to have a cocktail, I would say the earlier in the day and the better. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious about alcohol and, you know, its role on aging and mind. And I was reading that even if you have one drink, it's not fully out of your system and your sleep's not fully restored until three to four days afterwards. So it's even that very light. So if sleeping is important to you, you got to cut it out. Yeah. And you know, it's a fun way if you're into data and stuff like that is to track. If you need that proof, I'm not wearing mine right now, but I have an aura ring. And so an aura ring, it tracks your sleep, it tracks your heart rate variability, your body temperature, and it it tracks like the stages of your sleep. So let's just say you're not drinking, you track your sleep and you see you have X quantity of deep sleep and REM sleep, which are the restorative stages of your sleep. And then you have a cocktail or two, and then you see the difference. Have you done that? Have you, have you checked it out? Oh, I have. And my, my body temperature goes up. And it's funny. It used to be like, I would have a cocktail and I wake up and I'm like, Oh, I'm tired. I feel kind of shitty. And Oh, sorry. <laughs> I can say that. And, and be like, okay, it's cause I drank whatever. Then when I started tracking, I thought, oh my gosh, I now can correlate how bad I feel with the data. Like you really, you went from like an hour and a half of deep sleep down to 15 minutes, like girlfriend, no wine for you. So (laughs) that's amazing. I I think, you know, what I love talking with you about is that we're both very interested in giving women their power back. And I think we both work on kind of empowering people to do that. But I'm finding, I'm curious what you think. Are you finding that some women are uncomfortable with knowing that they have the power or that they should have power kind of in their life? And and why do you think this is, if you've seen that? 
I think it's really interesting. And I think it, especially when it comes to relationships, for everyone, their story is going to be different and their, and the reason is going to be different, especially in, in medicine. If you were a young, attractive female, they, no one would necessarily think that you're smart. If you spoke up and out, then you were aggressive and a... I'm person. <laughs> <laughs> adjective beginning with B. Uh, adjective beginning with B. And so I think it has been ingrained in us that we have to be somewhat passive and allow to in certain situations. And I think that spills over into a lot of aspects of our life, including health, right? I am a physician. And yet when I go to my physician for so long, I would just defer to what they would say and trust. And yet no one knows your body better than you do. If something doesn't feel right, no one's going to know that but you. And so learning how to be an advocate for yourself is just like anything else. It takes practice. It's going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) And you might have to, I can't even tell you how many doctors I've gone through to find someone who feels aligned. So there's some cultural and also like the family upbringing. I don't know. There's just so much stuff, but I think it's a matter of practicing that power because <laughs> it's not yeah, yeah. I, I kind of had this insight today because I find like oh my gosh take your power back why are you letting you know x y or z control your life right and some women are just kind of shocked by that whole like you have the power like it's number one it's something they'd never even thought of but I think the word power even to women might be an uncomfortable word, I think so. you know, because power can mean be an oppressive system or power can mean something you don't have. And so I think even the word, like take your power back, they're like, wait, what's this power thing I'm supposed to have? Right. I, I know it's my aha. Like maybe the words empower certainly seems a little bit more female friendly than power. Isn't that interesting? And I also find the word value in, there's a lot of banter about like, how can you add value? How can you, you know, can you contribute value to the scenario? And I feel like as women, we already on many levels feel like, well, am I valuable? Do I even feel worthy? Am I enough? And it can be very triggering. And so, yeah, I think it's these little slight nuances of, of the words that we use, how they're used, the context that we have for them. And what we were talking about before we got started in terms of like managing our minds and the thoughts that we have. And I think so many women haven't had that aha moment of, oh my God, these are just thoughts. They're not truth. And I can decide to change how I'm thinking about this, how I'm perceiving this. And I think that has been very eye-opening for me as I have more and more conversations with women, especially in midlife, because they've just been on autopilot. They've just been doing things the same way. And to be able to have a conversation and suggest, invite them to think about things a little bit differently. It's like, you know, yeah. once you see thoughts as not facts, you just see the world in a whole different way. I mean, I had such a dramatic example of that. I had a woman come in and we were talking about what she wanted to do about, you know, something. And she's like, doesn't really matter because I'm going to die young of Alzheimer's disease. And, And I was like, well, you realize that that's just your opinion about that's not actually a fact. And she's like, it was such a fact to her that her life was going to be short and her death was going to be like, and I was like, this is really a fact for you, but it really, it was not based in any sort of, any sort of fact, but she was limiting her whole life because of that belief. It was so dramatic. Yeah. Wow. I know. It's, 
It's crazy. And once you see like that, your thoughts are just optional and then you see the really ingrained ones, right? You're like, I know that's optional, but man, it's been there for a while. I know. It, feels, <laughs> it feels really not optional. feels very facty <laughs> to me. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk about hormones and skin? Yeah. Which one? I mean, there's, I know. (laughs) I mean, I see it. So I mean, hormones aren't FDA approved for great skin, right? But what I've seen is women who do supplement, do we call it supplement? They're just on hormones because they want to have hormones in in menopause. I can kind of tell who's on the hormones because they just look different. Yeah. Can you comment on that? Yeah, I I would love to. And I agree. I mean, I, I do think there's more than just hormone replenishment, right? It's the creating the terrain to plant that good garden, right? We've got to make sure that the sugar, the processed foods, the sleep, all of that is in place as well, because you can't supplement your way out of a a bad diet. You can't replenish your hormones out of a bad situation and stress, but especially estrogen. Estrogen probably is the most prominent hormone in terms of how it impacts skin health. We know that estrogen plays an important role in collagen synthesis, type one and three collagen. It also is really important in hydration of the skin and it generates the glycosaminoglycans, the hyaluronic acid. So hyaluronic acid is what's in filler that we are getting injected into our faces, right? At our dermatologist or plastic surgeon's office. And so it's a naturally occurring substance that estrogen helps generate. So giving you that youthful appearance, that more full face, it also has a role in hair growth. You know, that's why during pregnancy, our hair gets all nice and full and luscious because it has an impact on the cell cycle of your hair follicles. And let's talk about our intimate bits, right? Vaginal health and the role that, you know, skin is skin. It doesn't matter if it's on your face or if it's on your vagina, that estrogen is really important for helping maintain kind of a youthful... I know, I I always want to say the word supple, but... (laughs) Supple. I don't know if that's the right word. We're talking about supple vulvas. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's a big deal, right? I mean, that's your domain of being able to look at vulvas and know like how deficient are women, right? It's, you can tell by looking at their skin, Mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's amazing. You know, other hormones that impact the skin specifically, you know, blood sugar dysregulation is a big deal. So insulin and, and you may see this more commonly in women who have a history of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, where we know that there is blood sugar regulation issues, metabolic issues. And so those women may come in with maybe darkening or thickening of skin, especially in the folds around the neck, in the groin, in the axilla, kind of a velvety appearance, what we call acanthosis nigricans. So you can see, you know, you, you look at someone and you know, okay, there's more going on here that we need to address their hormones and especially even female hair pattern baldness, thinning of of the hair. And that has to do with an imbalance of hormones that as progesterone starts to decrease in in our mid to late thirties and estrogen soon behind that and the androgens are behind that. And then there's a relative imbalance. And then there's a potent form of testosterone, dihydrotestosterone that acts on your hair follicles on the face, it stimulates those nice coarse hairs that none of us like those, you know, those black hairs on our chinny chin chin, but on the scalp, it actually has the opposite effect and causes 
thinning or miniaturization of those hair follicles to lead to that baldness. So yeah, hormones can have a significant impact on the skin. When I see a postmenopausal woman and she'll come in with significant thinning of the hair or even that kind of male pattern, like recession of the hair, I think either thyroid things going on or kind of overabundance of testosterone, not that she's taking testosterone, but she just has such low estrogen that the testosterone is kind of showing itself that way. Am I thinking about that right? You are because one of one of the things, so so progesterone actually is one of the first hormones to start dwindling as especially in our mid to late 30s. That's the beginning of that hormonal imbalance. And it's like a set of dominoes. One goes down and then it affects the other because progesterone and thyroid are closely linked. Progesterone and estrogen are closely linked and, and, and all that. Progesterone has a role on inhibiting the conversion of testosterone to that more potent form of dihydrotestosterone. So as progesterone is going down without that ability to really put the brakes on that more potent form, that's why hormonal acne may rear its ugly head because DHT can stimulate the oil glands. That's why the hair growth on the face and the hair thinning on the top of the scalp. So yes, it's that relative imbalance. And thyroid does play a big role in hair loss as well. More of a diffuse, oftentimes it's more of a diffuse, what we call diffuse hair loss, non-scarring alopecia. So when we look at hormones, we can't just look at the traditional sex hormones. We need to be looking at thyroid hormone and stress. I can't emphasize enough the role that stress hormones like your cortisol and adrenaline things have on your skin and your overall health and well-being. So, and I know stress, listen, we're, we're living in stressful times, but, and there's no way to get rid of it. But again, it goes back to our thoughts and how are we choosing to perceive, look at these thoughts and manage them. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think when a lot of people think about, you know, getting rid of stress, it's like, you're supposed to, you're always failing because you can't get rid of stress. Right. But it's how you manage the stress. Is that kind of how you think about it when women come in? They're like, I'm just so stressed. It's more the management system that just needs to be boosted. Absolutely. And I think, hey, listen, yeah, you're stressed and that's okay. I think we were talking about giving yourself permission to not feel great. Like it's not supposed to be perfect. Like is that ready situation and it's okay and acknowledge that it's stressful. And let's put some tools in your toolbox to help you manage it. That's not drinking alcohol. That's not, you know, overloading with the sugary snacks that are just going to make you feel worse and mess with your sleep, mess with your skin, mess with everything else. So yeah, I think it's all about understanding how to manage it. And it's not like, okay, just go do yoga and go do meditate because that's one more thing to do on your to-do list. It's just going to add stress. How can we make it practical in the moment? What can we do? I was thinking, there's kind of like the spa backlash now because they're like, we can't just tell women to go to the spa. Like the spa doesn't actually solve things. And I'm, I'm thinking about that, but it's like spending time with yourself and listening to your thoughts and being away and saying, I have a space that is myself away from the stress. To me, I'm like, that's what the spa is about. It's not that, you know, somebody's got a paraffin wrap on your hands. But I think that's why kind of where the backlash is, is like, yes, just going to a spa isn't going to make your life perfect. But it's like the time you spend with yourself and that relationship with yourself and the kind of that internal work is the whole point, I think, of, of you know, a quote unquote spa day. I absolutely agree because you've given yourself permission to disconnect. You've given yourself permission to, I think in the spa, 
we are so much more it's about mindfulness, right? You're in that moment. You're so happy to be in that place with the music, with someone touching you. If you're getting a massage, not like inappropriately touching you. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to qualify that. But you know, you're there for a specific purpose and you're fully present. And I think now that we can't necessarily go, depending on where you are in the country, if you're in lockdown or where you are in the world, but it's again giving yourself permission to take that time and to be fully present with yourself in that moment. You know, I think we lose so much time and it creates so much more stress when we are, you know, ruminating over things in the past, worrying about what's about to happen in the future, and we miss what's happening in front of us right now. And that's where the true joy and, and where the the true relaxation comes because in this moment, I'm here with you. I'm enjoying this. I'm breathing. I know I'm safe. I have Wi-Fi. Like life is good. Like life is really good. And like, yeah. I know, you know, before this, I was a little bit rushed. I know that there are things to come, but like, if I can just be here right now, like I can breathe. I love it. Talk to me about using mindfulness and self-compassion to face our face with love. Yeah. So this is huge. So I've had a lot of women come to me. They won't leave their house. They won't engage in any social activity because when they look in the mirror, they are just criticizing themselves. They're beating themselves up for what they see. They cannot face their face without contempt for what they see. Again, it goes beyond skin deep. What they're seeing on their surface is just information about what's happening in their body. And I think even when it's acne, even when it's a blemish and, and something that you don't like, there's a reason why that's showing up. For acne, for instance, it very well could be, you know, you are consuming a little bit too much sugar and it's turning on those oil glands or dairy. For some people, that's, that's a big deal. Stress, right? There's many different reasons. Your hormonal imbalances. But my way of helping to manage that is... When you look in the mirror, what can you see that you can appreciate, right? It's that idea of of gratitude and appreciation. Yes, this blemish, you may not like how it looks, but it's telling you something. It's giving you information, right? It's a messenger that you may need a little bit more TLC, that you need to look a little bit deeper and see what's happening in your life. Those thighs that you're beating yourself up over because they're cellulite or they're a little heavy, they help you stand up straight. They help carry you miles and miles, cycle, bike, climb a mountain. If you've got a a kiddo and you can hold them on your hip, right? You couldn't do any of these things without this body of yours. You know, your nose, like, all right, I broke my nose. I don't love, you know, the bump in it, but it allows me to smell my husband's oh my God, I'm like smelling it now. It's like his tomato sauce and, and the meat sauce that he makes is like so good right and like or your mom's cookies or whatever it is like focusing on the function and what your body and your skin can do for you and when you take that approach I can't even tell you how transformational it can be it seems very simple and may seem a little woo but I had one woman in particular that I'm thinking of she had not left her house because she kept fixating on the bags under her eyes and the wrinkles on her face. And when we really dug into it, it was because her marriage had recently broken up. 
And it was tied to what she was, you know, the emotion of not feeling lovable and not feeling loved. And so I had her do some mirror work where she looked in the mirror and looked to find one feature that she could appreciate, right? And it was her eyes, you know, it wasn't necessarily the color of her eyes, but when she looked that she could see herself, that she had the ability to see beauty because she was an artist and she could see the colors and appreciate. And I kid you not, after not leaving her house, like the next day, she left her house, went to work. God bless. Yeah. It's, it's just like you were saying, it's, it's all, it's just the thoughts and we get to choose. I love the thought or the question, what are you making this mean? Because Mm -hmm. it takes all those facts of like, my chin's too small or whatever. It's like, well, what are you making that mean? And a lot of the times we're making it mean that we're not a hundred percent worthy. We're a lot of, I think a lot of what comes down with women, especially is I'm not worthy enough or I'm not good enough as I am. And it's kind of this unifying thought that a lot of people have, but we can, we say, oh, my chin's too small or, you know, whatever else, or I'm not good enough at work. It's, we're making it mean something in a negative way. And as soon as you can see that and then question that as, is that a fact or that's just something I'm making that mean today? Isn't that silly? Of course my chin doesn't mean I'm not worthy. You know, like it can really open up that, that kind of, that space that people are in. Yeah, I love that. And in addition to that question, sometimes people are like, I don't know. So adding the what else, what else does it mean, right? That what else, what else, what else to help them uncover and get to that. Maybe we won't always get there, but it helps to peel back those layers and reveal what may have not been available to them before. And it can make a huge difference. So yeah, I love that question. And then a little bit deeper. Yeah. There's always something underneath. I love it. Well, let's use that and talk about kind of desire and hormones. Cause I think a lot of women, I don't say blame, but like think that they're, they don't have desire or they're not as, as sexually active as they used to be because of the hormones or because I'm 55 or kind of, it's this, you know, blaming it on maybe an external thing or something your body's doing instead of maybe the thoughts or the relationships that you have either with yourself or with your significant other. You talk about desire and hormones and thoughts. Yeah, I think this is a juicy topic. And, you know, we had touched on a little bit earlier. So much of it comes down to thoughts. And I and I look to, you know, books that I always recommend to my patients, right? And I'm sure you're familiar with these, like Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski and Better Sex and Mindfulness by Dr. Laurie Brado. And I just love how they approach this because it is so true that in our lives, there's a gas pedal and there's a brake, right? That there are so many things that trigger us that can just slam on the brakes for being interested in anything, especially sex. So if there's clutter, if your significant other has said a passing comment that, you know, was not that you interpreted as unkind or you have a gajillion things that are on your list, your ability to engage in sexual activity in any meaningful way, you might go through the motion, but to actually enjoy it is a whole nother story. And I think so much of it is, you know, how active our minds are and the thoughts that we have about the situation. I think, you know, it's not 
the stress component, I think is, is big, right? Cause you've got a million things to do. Your mind's not going to be in it, but more than that, you know, what is your experience of sex? Like what is your sex story? Where did it start for you? You know, is there a lot of shame or embarrassment? And it's not the sensuality, the sexuality. And then we have to bring in the body shame component as we hit midlife, as your body is changing and not feeling comfortable or confident in your body and, and not feeling worthy. So there are so many layers that go into it. And it's a matter of, okay, where do we start? <laughs> because I have so many women saying like, I just, I want to want sex and I feel really bad that I don't want it, but I just don't. And so that opens a whole can of worm of like, okay, well, what is, what does sex mean for you? Like, what is it about that? Right. And for some women, they've never had an orgasm. So it's just a matter of like something that they do to please somebody else. Right. Of course, you're not going to want that. And I, I like, I like to, I love the idea of sex exceptionalism. Like sex is so unique and, and nothing else is like it. It's like, no, it's just, everything else is like it. Like, I don't like kale. I don't want kale. I, you're not going to make me want kale, but like kale's really healthy for me. And I know I'm nourishing my body and like, you know, that salad's kind of beautiful. You know, you're like, you still have kale in your life, even though you're not spontaneously desiring a vegetable right. and the same thing with exercise, right? Like we look at all these athletes and we're like, well, they're they're fit because they desire exercise. Mm -hmm. I just, I'll work out when I start to desire it. It's like, you're never going to desire exercise, right? Right. And we can't make you have desire for exercise, but exercise is very stress relieving. It makes you feel good. It's good for your body. It helps you sleep better, which is what sex does too. Right. <laughs> and so like, to me, I always, I always kind of, I see it now. It's like when a woman's like, I wish I desired it. It's like, it's, that's not actually the point. And, and, you know, to stop waiting around for that desire to strike, you're not going to become fit. You're not going to be eating well. You know, I, I just need a desire to go to bed early. No, you go to bed early because sleep is good for you. Right. So I kind of like, I like to normalize that conversation is like, there's a lot of things we do for whatever reason that we don't have spontaneous desire to do. Why are we making sex this like, okay, you can have it once you spontaneously desire it. We don't do that with anything else. It's so true. And I think, you know, and there's this model that we are led to believe as women that it's just supposed to spontaneously arise. We are just supposed to want it. If your husband or your significant other taps you on the shoulder and you're just supposed to be like, all right, babe, I'm ready. And it just does not work like that. And to not feel badly about that and to understand why do we have sex? Because I hope for most people, it would be a pleasurable experience. It creates a sense of pleasure, a sense of releasing that oxytocin and those feel-good hormones. So begin from a non-sexual standpoint. What gives you pleasure? What brings you joy? And can you feel into that or do those things for yourself first to know what true pleasure is? And then you can kind of create a bridge. And this is where the work with mindfulness is so key is really being able to tune into your own body and the sensations that feel really good and being fully present to that. And it can be completely asexual at first, but then you can bring your partner into that and to have it be non-sexual touch and just feel and just in some ways it's not really selfish but it is just allowing yourself to just be lost in that moment of just the pure sensation the smell the sounds the touch and then you can parlay that in further into sexual touch 
Totally. What I find a lot is that, you know, when women are wanting to desire sex is kind of a common thing. And then I say, well, what else in your life is pleasurable to you? What do you do for pleasure for your, yourself? And there's nothing. Right. And so it's like, okay, let's work on your body deserves to be treated kindly. Your body just, you deserve to, to just take the time to celebrate something like, oh, that candle smells nice or this bath. I, I love the shower. Like, you know, the mindfulness in the shower of like, just freaking enjoy that shower instead of like, I'm hurrying to get this done to get to the next spot. But it's like pleasure everywhere really, I think helps saying, oh yeah, sex is for pleasure too. That's just another piece of my pleasure. Exactly. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And I think it's so true now with the pandemic where people's plates are so full that pleasure just goes by the wayside and we can't pour from an empty cup. So we have to figure out for ourselves, even if pleasure, like for me, peeling vegetables is like pleasurable because, (laughs) and I know, and I never would have thought of that before because I only learned to cook not very long ago. <laughs> Full disclosure, my husband was doing home cooking. But it's just and maybe because it's so in some way mindless and yet I can be so mindful that it's so satisfying to be just, I'm just doing this right now. This is all I have to do right now. Right? Yeah. They talk about, you know, getting in the flow. Yeah. Right. When you're in the flow of something, it's like you're paying attention to what you're doing. Your mind our mind doesn't actually like being in the future or the past. Orgasms definitely don't they won't work if you're in the future or the past. So it's like being in the moment is really, you know, in the whole Buddhist philosophy of like it's really the only time we have is right now. Why are we trying to spend it in other places? A hundred percent. I think about that. Like, yeah, you cannot have an orgasm if you're not fully present you can fake it it's very difficult very difficult you can fake it but you want to the yeah, real you, thing you, you want to the real thing <laughs> yeah totally so how do we reconcile you know when we were talking about so much of our lived experience is our thoughts about it and you know cultivating that how do you how do we reconcile that with truly like if you're going through what they call reverse puberty or perimenopause and your hormones really are up down up down up down how can we talk about how hormones do affect our emotions yes It is. It's everything is connected. I mean, everything is connected. And so it's challenging, right? Because is is it the chicken or the egg scenario? Is it because hormones are depleted that it's creating this mental distress or is it the stress that's suppressing the hormone? You know, it's either way we need to address both pieces. And I think in perimenopause and menopause, there is no denying those hormones are diminishing and there is a distinct correlation between our hormones and our neurochemicals. And especially let's talk about progesterone is a big one. Progesterone starts to diminish in our mid to late thirties. Progesterone plays a significant role in its relationship to neurochemical called GABA. GABA creates a sense of calm and relaxation. And so as progesterone is going down, that GABA is also not getting the boost that it might need. And so if you are noticing that you are more anxious if you're not sleeping as well. That is can be a direct correlation to your hormone levels. Yes, can it also be because you're on your device until all hours and that blue light is messing with your, you know, your circadian rhythm? Yes, it all matters. But there are direct correlations to how our hormones can directly impact how we feel. Fluctuating estrogen going up and down in mood swings, all and thyroid hormone and, and feeling, you know, depressed and all, all the, they all matter. So I think 
it requires more of a global approach. We have to treat the whole person. You know, I was trained as a dermatologist. I am siloed, subspecialized for skin, and yet everything is connected. We can't just compartmentalize our lives and our bodies and our emotions. So at a certain stage, you know, I'm a firm believer that if you are a candidate for it, if you feel comfortable replenishing your hormones is valuable to help people feel more like themselves to, we don't replenish them to useful levels, but to levels that are sustainable for maintaining cardiovascular health, bone health, you know, musculoskeletal brain health, all of that. And when you are feeling better, it makes it so much easier to deal with the stressors in your life to, you know, take that, your power back to be empowered, to, you know, go out for that promotion and whatever else, you know, pursue the things that you love in life that give you pleasure. So, yeah. I love it. Can you talk about joy? We were talking earlier about how you can kind of see signs of aging or signs of somebody's health on their face and on their skin. How do you, and maybe you're like me, but I see people and I know if they're joy, if they're joyous, like it comes out, it shines. Can you, can you see that too? When you talk to somebody, like if somebody just has this inherent joy in their life I, I, and how it kind of, how it, how it changes their face. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when we talk about, I was talking about like glowing skin, right? Certainly there's an external appearance, but I truly believe that glow is from the inside out. Right. And I, if you had asked me eight years ago, before I started on this health journey, when my health fell apart and about vibration and energy and all that, stuff, I'd be like, okay, la, la, like I'm not listening, <laughs> but now I truly believe that like we are energetic beings. We are vibrational beings and it's the tone of someone's voice. It's, their expression. Now, granted, if you've had a lot of Botox and you might be like minimizing your expression, but it's like the sparkle in your eye. Like you can, you can see it. And I, I interpret it in many ways, movement. When, when people are really joyful, they're animated. I'm not saying you have to be all over the place, shaking your arms, but there's a flow and there's a movement that the whole body, the, the mind and the body are connected a lot of times when people are struggling, I find that there's somewhat of a disconnect and that people are more rigid and more static. So that's kind of one of my telltale signs is how much are they in flow with their body? You know, how much movement is there when they're talking? Are they, are they smiling or are their hands moving? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been very curious, you know, I've been reading, you know, Buddhist stuff forever and it's like the truly like, experts at it are just these very joyous laughing you know the Dalai Lama is supposed to be always laughing it's kind of this joy and like the more I work on it the more I'm like man there's joy there's joy everywhere and you can cultivate it and like and then you can start seeing it in other people and I, I, as a western medicine trained person I'm like this is woo wooey for us for sure but like having joy in your life truly does I think you know a fountain of youth and this like glow that you can have so joy looks good on people it really does. And I would say, you know, when people ask me, what can I use for my skin? I'm like, listen, I can make you look 10 years younger and it doesn't come from a bottle, right? It is about cultivating just what you said, cultivating joy, learning how to manage. That's what you tell people? Yeah, I do. Like, it's <laughs> not 
It's a listen, I can give you prescriptions, but save your money. It's a $500 billion beauty industry whose sole mission is to convince us women that there's something wrong with us, that we are broken, that, we that we're need, not enough, that we're not enough, that you need this product or that product. And listen, there are some great products out there. I'm not dissing products, but bottom line is there is no product that is going to help you achieve the outcome that you want. If you are not willing to look beneath the surface and deal with the thoughts and the emotions that are driving the discontent. I love it. Do you think negative thoughts, is there any data on this that like negative thoughts accelerate aging? You know, I, I don't know if I can, if I've come across a study, but I know that stress, there's a lot in the literature about the impact of stress on skin. And what's so fascinating is that we always think about our hormones coming from like the hypothalamus to the pituitary and the adrenals and from the top down, right? And your skin is a receiver of those stress signals. What most people don't appreciate is that your skin has the exact same machinery. Your skin can actually generate those stress hormones. Your skin can generate sex hormones. Like your skin is this amazing organ. So it is both a perceiver and receiver of stress signals and stress breaks down that collagen and that elastin. So it contributes to the fine lines and wrinkles. It has an impact on your oil glands. I mean, wound healing, so many things. So yeah, I think I may have not seen the study, but I wouldn't be surprised, you know, aging for sure is impacted by our thoughts. <laughs> totally. I mean, I think I have such a gift and you have such a gift and because we see so many people because of the jobs we do. Right. And I see so many people from all different decades of life. And basically it's like, I want to learn, like, I want to learn how to look like that at 70. You know, because you see somebody do it successfully and you're like, that's what's possible. It doesn't have to be the slow decline. It doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. And the exciting thing is it's never too late, right? I think it's so important that all is not lost just because you haven't started yet. Like, you know, there are women in their 70s, 80s. My great grandfather was 104. So I'm like, listen. I might not have my stuff together right now, but there's time. Like, I'm like, there's time. There's, you can always. That's all. And that's your mindset, right? Mindset's everything of seeing it as there's time instead of seeing it as, you know, half has already passed or whatever it might be. Absolutely. So tell us about your book and where people can find you as we wrap this up. Yeah. So um, my book is called The Skin Whisperer. And actually, as I mentioned, you know, our skin is sending us messages all the time. And my goal is to help people hear those messages when they're just a whisper rather than shouting, because that was my story. And it didn't, thankfully it ended well, but had to go through a rough patch. And it really is a step-by-step guide for helping to build resilient health. And I might make some recommendations of things that you can use, but it has nothing to do with skincare products themselves. So that is on Amazon. And, you know, the focus of my work now, helping perimenopausal and menopausal women money practices 100% virtual. So people can find me online at drkirabar.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was a blast. Thank you.